the majority of my symptoms resolved after the first few weeks, but it's five months in and I'm still having waves of GI issues. I managed to gain weight back the weight I lost and I have since lost it again. The insomnia is back, not nearly as bad as it was, but um, it is taking a long time to recover. I still don't have my strength back in the way that I did. This is Diana Berendt. She's one of the thousands of people who have suffered long-term symptoms from COVID-19. They call themselves long-haulers or long-termers. Many have recovered from the coronavirus but didn't really fully recover from the disease. Not much exists in the medical literature about these cases. Long-haulers claim they're not getting enough support from the medical community and their concerns are being brushed off. This is Beyond the Headlines and I'm your host, Sohail Akram. In this episode, we try to understand what is long-haul COVID and if there is really such a thing. It has been nearly eight months since the outbreak of the COVID-19. Much is still unknown about the disease and how it attacks the body. The severity of this disease has ranged from no symptoms at all to death. And in between these two extremes is a group of people who say they are still experiencing symptoms of COVID-19. Shortness of breath, chest pains, vomiting, headaches, and fatigue. According to the World Health Organization, about 80% of coronavirus infections are mild or asymptomatic, and patients typically recover after just two weeks. We spoke to Dr. Natalie Lambert, Associate Research Professor of Medicine from the Department of Medicine, Indiana University, who is researching these long-haul cases. I think... There is a lot of interest. I think that there needs to be a lot more interest and investment in understanding the patient's experiences with these symptoms as well. It's very natural that we want to focus very effectively on a vaccine at this time or else other treatments like uh, convalescent plasma. But I think what we need to be doing simultaneously is supporting research about these long-term symptoms because That's also ongoing, and it is a huge, huge lowering of people's quality of life for many months, and it's impacting their ability to work, their ability to uh, function in their family or even have uh, normal, you know, social interaction. It's hard to imagine that we could really develop effective therapies for treating these long-term symptoms until we've done some very detailed research on what these symptoms are, what underlying medical conditions, you know, what demographic factors, age, gender, all of those things. We have to understand how factors of individuals impact um, the type of symptoms people are experiencing, and then we can develop more effective therapies. And that's where Survivor Core comes in. It's a Facebook group open to public with 90,000 members, where people discuss the disease and its symptoms and seek each other's help. It was founded by Diana Berendt, who partnered with Dr. Natalie Lambert to give her insight into all the anecdotal evidence of these long-termers. Dr. Lambert used this information to write a paper on long haulers for her university. This is Diana's experience of COVID-19. I was one of the first people in my area to be diagnosed with COVID. I live right outside of New York City and I got COVID in early March. 
So not only was I one of the first people to be diagnosed, I was the one of probably the first person in my area to go public with my story. And when I got a, my positive results, I all of a sudden remembered back to 10th grade biology, which was one of the last science classes I took, by the way. Um, and I realized that if things went well, and they have, I would be one of the first survivors, and there would be many, many to follow. And that if we could organize as a coalition, we could have the potential to change the course of history because so many of the answers to this virus lie in the bodies of survivors. So we are the largest grassroots COVID movement in the United States right now, and we are mobilizing an army of volunteers to go out and donate their convalescent plasma, which helps save lives and to support science in every way possible. So we have a, uh, we are an open group on Facebook. We have over 90,000 members, Survivor Corps, C-O-R-P-S, and a website, SurvivorCorps.com, which is a one-stop shop on how you can give back. And that means you can give plasma, you can give blood to vaccine uh, research, you can fill out surveys on your phone, uh, you can participate in a myriad of trials, and you can also come on our page and answer our polls and contribute to the kind of science that Dr. Lambert is working to create. I would say that I had a very average case of COVID. So I woke up on Friday the 13th. Um, yeah, you can read into that what you like. Um, in March with 103 fever, a respiratory infection, I felt like I had an elephant sitting on my chest, every classic sign of COVID. Um, the smartest thing that I did was I put myself into isolation within about 15 minutes and I stayed in my bedroom for 18 days. So while I did pass it to my husband and my daughter, they ended up having extraordinarily mild cases. That said, I had other symptoms. I had headaches that were excruciating, that I nothing like I'd ever experienced. Um, the respiratory infection cleared up after a couple of weeks. It turned into uh, GI issues, which still persist. Um, I had lower back pain, which was probably a kidney pain. Um, I had, uh, I lost probably 12, 15 pounds in two weeks. It was pretty unpleasant. And I would say the majority of my symptoms resolved after the first few weeks, but it's five months in and I'm still having waves of GI issues. I managed to gain back the weight I lost and I have since lost it again. Um, the insomnia is back, not nearly as bad as it was, but um, it is taking a long time to recover. I still don't have my strength back in the way that I did. I have to tell you, I was in really, really good shape when I got COVID. Um, I'm 45. I was exercising every day. I um, I hadn't had a fever in over a decade. I don't have a single pre-existing condition, um, and I was the first one to go down. For Diana and many like her, one key question is, what is causing these recurring symptoms? But there are no easy answers. This is a new virus, and so much is still unknown about it. The World Health Organization has been very restrained in using the term long-haul COVID or long-term COVID. We spoke to the WHO spokesperson, Tariq Isarevich, who said the issue of long-term effects on people who have recovered requires studying these people before drawing any conclusions. Here is Tariq. Well, uh, we have seen uh, reports uh, and heard about people who uh, have been infected with COVID-19 and who recover, but they still may have some lingering effects on their health. 
Now, it's very difficult to quantify this because we need more studies that would shed more light on how big this problem is. We believe that most of people do recover fully from COVID-19, but the COVID-19 disease puts enormous stress on many parts of the body, on cardiovascular system, on neurological system. And we heard that uh, uh, people, even after weeks and weeks, still have issues with their breathing, uh, with their exercising, uh, experience fatigue. So this is something, obviously, to watch and to try to better information about uh, what we are saying at the World Health Organization is that uh, the best way to prevent this is to prevent the infection in the first place altogether, and for that, countries should uh, be putting in place measures that the WHO has been recommending since the beginning of the COVID-19 outbreak, and that is basically to try to identify people who are sick, uh, making sure that uh, they receive necessary medical care and that uh, others who may have been in contact with them are put in isolation for a period of time. We have learned a lot about this virus in past uh, eight months or so, uh, but there are still things that we don't fully understand and for which we will need time. For example, exactly this issue about long-term health effect on people who have recovered from COVID-19 requires following these people uh, uh, studying before drawing any any, any conclusions. We are also looking into things about uh, uh, children and COVID, about exactly the, the extent of asymptomatic transmission, but we are learning every day. There are a number of scientists around the world who are working on different aspects of COVID-19. We at the World Health Organization are through our uh, expert groups uh, trying to to get to understand the results of these studies and trying to share the knowledge as we learn about the SARS-CoV-2 virus and COVID-19 disease. Dr. Anthony Fauci, the director of the U.S.'s National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, who until recently was one of President Trump's top infectious diseases officials and who has spent much of his career studying HIV, recently told the top biotechnology conference that HIV is really simple compared to what's going on with COVID-19. It might be months or even years before we truly understand the full spectrum of COVID-19 symptoms and the duration of these symptoms, but there is some work happening. A research group at King's College London has developed a COVID-19 tracker app for people to record their symptoms daily. It estimated that 200,000 people have been reporting symptoms for the entire six weeks since the tracker was launched. Many people said their symptoms heightened initially and then nearly disappeared before they returned again with ferocity. One such case is Marcus Tomov from Tampa, Florida. So it started in uh, early June on the 8th. I woke up with uh, no smell and no taste, which is kind of weird because it the virus starts in so many different ways. Um, So it started with that, and then it just hit like a train, uh, not even like an hour later into the day, that everything just kind of went to putts. It started with no taste, no smell, and then it kind of trickled to um, its congestion in my head as as far as headaches. Um, It was overall pain and weakness, because it was, but it was, you know, slight cough. Nothing crazy on that end. Congestion on my nose, uh, itchy throat, the chest pains that I cured, um, muscle aches and body aches all over. Um, And I would like to say pretty much weakness and extremely tired. Um, And those ranged for about four weeks 
in the middle of those four weeks, I would say about a week later, my parents got sick. And eventually, uh, a few days later, they had to be taken to the hospital. What I was dealing with, I had to put aside and take care of them. And that was when my whole entire perspective changed on this, was when seeing them getting aided to the hospital. And then I had to drive home and then take care of myself alone. So that was another about, about three weeks of dealing with all those symptoms and those coursing through me and you know my body as well being affected. I also lost 20 pounds from this. It affected my appetite, me barely eating. And then I would say early July, about the 12th, and about a week before that, I was feeling better. You know, everything was starting to lighten up to a point that I was able to slowly start to exercise and get strength back. Um, And I didn't think much of it. I didn't know what a long holler was. I didn't know what the long-term effects may be. And so I started to get testing for COVID. Uh, eventually receiving negative results, which was a good thing, but they turned out to be false negatives. So as I was exercising, I pretty much caused a reflare up and the symptoms all came back besides for the coughing and fevers. Um, it was just mainly the pain that I was dealing with before intensified. Um, and from there on up until the 23rd of July was when I actually had to go to the hospital and that was when they said they tested me and they said I was still positive. Pretty much, I guess, in their words, the virus went dormant and it came back, just like I said, intensified. Um, chest pains, headaches, uh, just lingering throat aches, aches all over, intensified weakness and fatigue to also now a new pain, which is a shooting neck pain from my lower neck to my back to my legs, which causes a very, an irritable sensation to walk. And since then, from I was also discharged from the hospital, not even seven hours later, they wouldn't admit me. So they kept me in a room and then they let me go and said, hey, you can deal with this at home. After that, it's been just struggling ever since, just trying to get by every day. And hopefully things get better. In the last six months since the onset of this pandemic, we have heard innumerable stories of people suffering, old and sick patients battling for ventilators, the virus robbing many families of a dignified funeral for their loved ones. There is a race for a vaccine to cure this plague. But amidst all this, with the emergence of this new group of so-called long haulers, there is still so much more scientists need to investigate about the virus. Many long haulers say their concerns are brushed off as an overreaction. Their testimonies may add to our anxiety over questions about the return of COVID-19 in patients who have already recovered. But while the fear is real, and so is the suffering of long haulers, there's no scientific data to prove that there could be COVID-19 reinfection. Generally speaking, most people who are exposed to the coronavirus make antibodies that can destroy the virus. The more severe the symptoms, the stronger the response. But in case of long haulers, what scientists would be curious to know is the kind and the quality of the antibody response. Dr. Natalie, who is researching these long-haul cases, says before we have answers to these questions about people's immune response, it's about taking cues from patient experiences and understanding what they need to feel better. I would say my next step of the research is absolutely better understanding these symptoms and would love to be able to find a way to predict what types of symptoms someone might expect to encounter. 
we're also going to look at all of the posts that have been made in the Facebook group because there's close to a million posts and almost all of them documenting patients' personal experiences with the illness and use advanced techniques like natural language processing to find patterns of those experiences. And the research also needs to be looking at this very large number of patients who have mild to moderate symptoms and understanding what they need to feel better. And there are many, many smart people working late into the night every day to try to answer these questions. And I'm very proud of the medical community for collaborating in a way that I've never seen before and collaborating with organizations like Survivor Corps. So I think that we're really, we're doing a lot of the right things, but I do think that we need to do a lot of investigations of patients' experiences and help that inform our next moves as far as getting treatment for people with these mild to moderate cases. I would like to say that if anyone listening has COVID or they believe that they do, if they couldn't get a test and they're having these long-term symptoms, just to emphasize that research shows, you know, research based on, you know, well over 1500 people, which is a large sample, that these symptoms are real, that many people are experiencing them. And unfortunately, what you have to do is you have to advocate for yourself as a patient. So you can download the white paper, send it to your doctor, but if you're having severe problems like heart pain, you know, joint pain, you can't think, you can't sleep, I really encourage you to reach out to a physician and find one who will help you because you really do need to get uh, treatment for these symptoms. Some can end up being quite serious. There has likely never been as much focus on a single virus as COVID-19. But while the scientific community races to find a cure, what about the people suffering in the meantime? Here is 28-year-old Marcus again. Every day they're still learning new things about it. I've been extremely vocal on my social media. And so, you know, there's a lot of divided people on my account. There's people that are extremely supportive of it, trying to learn. And there's people that are still doubting, you know, what I'm going through. And so it's kind of, it's hard to be, you know, trying to bring light to everything. But it's also, you know, a good thing that I'm learning about myself now. Uh, I'm still dealing with a lot of pain. I'm still dealing with things that are just whack uh, that doctors don't even know what to deal with. <laughs> so it's kind of hard to be in one spot. You were listening to Beyond the Headlines. Thanks this week to Diana Barrent, Dr. Natalie Lambert, Marcus Tomov, and to Tariq Yasarevich. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. And if you can spare a minute, we would really appreciate a review. This episode was produced by Aisha Khan and Arthur Edison, with assistance from Liz Cookman. I've been your host, Sohail Akram. Thanks for listening.